0: Welcome to Overdue Classics, the podcast for all the books you've been meaning to read. I'm Brandon LeBlanc, and returning to the show are Matt Bianco and Andrea Lipinski. Welcome back, guys.
1: Thanks. Glad to be here.
0: I, I had fun with uh, Alec and Katarina talking about Ovid, but I'm glad to have you guys back with me for Her Real quick housekeeping note, at the end of last week's episode, I announced our new podcast's community space on, on circle.so. But at the very beginning of it, I said for overdue classics and all of the other. And I said, I meant to say Cersei podcast. And I said, close reads podcasts. Cause I was trying to tell folks we were migrating away from, from coast co spacing with uh close reads, our, our friends at close reads. So my mistake on that one, but it is all the Cersei podcasts will be there. Uh, the plays the thing and, and quiddity. Um, I can't promise that we will put proverbial there and Josh Gibbs will respond to you because I don't speak for him, but <laughs> but maybe someday, who knows. But that's where you'll find uh, the conversations about this book and all the upcoming books. Uh, and we will be posting, uh, I posted the next couple of books coming up, and I'll post the at full schedule for those there this week. So, cleans up our housekeeping. But we are here for Boethius, The Consolation of Philosophy. So let me ask first, uh, have either of you read this before or is this a first read?
1: It is my first.
2: Awesome. I've started
1: it, but I can't count that as a read.
2: Yeah. This is my second read of the first couple of books, but it's my first read of the whole thing.
0: Okay, cool. Uh, I read it for the first time last year. Um, and I really fell in love with it, so I was glad that some some of our listening audience suggested this was one they would, would want to tackle. So, um, I attended book. an I attended
2: an academic conference over the weekend through the Ciceronian Society, and this book came up quite a bit in conversations over the weekend.
0: Awesome. I um. Having read, well, we'll get into this some, but having read some read some things that come before it and some things that come after it, when I read it last year, it was it was really interesting to see kind of things that influenced it and things that it influenced were pretty jumped out at me quite a bit. So, but we will get into book one. Uh, I'll give it just a quick a quick narration this time. I haven't. I don't think I've had a. I have had ai do think I've had to do the narration, so I'll do it this time. Um, book one, we we run into Boethius, um, who is lamenting his. His sad state uh, in verse, and being consoled by the muses of poetry, um, and complaining about his sad state of, of exile, and then is very quickly joined by a mysterious and powerful seeming lady, and eventually he comes to realize it's Lady Philosophy uh, who's who's here, and she chases off the poetic muses muses um, who are helping him wallow. And she comes to give remedy to his mind. He then gives his long complaint uh, about why it's so unjust that he's where he is. And she sits quietly and listens and then says, it's time for you to take your medicine. Um, and begins with a series of questions to help him start down the path of, of maybe clearing his mind a little bit. And that's kind of where uh, book one leaves us off. They're just kind of getting started on that road. So,
1: yeah, she wants Any, to know this. Give his mind.
0: That's right. That's right. Um, anything from book one? Just really jump out that you wanted to to mention or talk about, or struck you as uh, curious.
1: Yeah, I've never met a book that calls the muses be kind. Okay, the poetic ones, the muses um sluts and sirens
0: yeah i'm just glad you're the oh one used the word s- i was glad you're the person on the podcast used the word sluts first not
2: you're welcome here, where does it say sluts mine doesn't say that <laughs> oh, yeah well, I was awesome. like, it's in book, the first part of book one
1: um let's find it
0: it's right when she rebukes them and sends yeah. them off uh
1: uh, at the sight of the music poetry at my bedside, dictating words to accompany my tears, she became angry. Who? She demanded, her piercing eyes alight with fire. To allow these hysterical sluts to approach this sick man's bedside.
2: Uh, mine says play acting wantons. Mm. Mm,
0: wantons. You're translating a little bit more cautiously.
1: Yeah, mine a yes yeah mine's better
2: <laughs> well i mean it depends what the latin
0: says isn't it? <laughs>
1: yeah so that this yeah. is the first for me
0: my guess is that so the, I, I, where we both have sirens is probably more of a, a, a literal word for sirens in the like in the in the greek texts, right
1: i mean i like that she herself this um, awe-inspiring appearance of a lady at the end of her anger Mm -hmm. paragraph she says well Sirens is a better name for you and you deadly enticements be gone and leave him for my own muses to heal and cure
0: yeah that's I'm
1: curious which ones are hers and which ones are the poetic muses
0: yeah her just that description of her is like where he can't even really describe her she's like normal but then huge it's just, her the perception of her is all out of whack um yeah. that was the first thing where i was like that reminds me of something and it was both dickens uses that talking about his ghosts in christmas carol that kind of it's hard to quantify uh-huh. them especially the ghost yeah. of christmas present i think and then uh lewis in the space trilogy does the same mm-hmm. thing like trying when he when he encounters different the ol bills or the angelic beings. That's yeah yeah
1: yeah you know i drew a picture on the side of her um nice. trying to capture the pieces you know like that the hem of her dress is pi and at the top is theta and there's a letter in between and her dress is torn um, she's holding on her, in her right, and I can only tell you this because I drew it, in her right hand, she's in books, plural, and in her left, she's holding a scepter. And the muses were also characterized, known, for how they were figured, right, what they were to hold, or what was in their mm-hmm. hands or in their lap, they were seated and standing, like they were known by those kinds of things as well. So I thought that was interesting.
0: Yeah, and the books come in later right when he she, he addresses like what's in her books and she says it's it's not about the books but what's in okay. them right philosophy.
1: Well, no, what of them is in you?
0: What are they? Yeah. Cuz he's lost his library, right? He's he's, he's yeah. been has had all his possessions taken from him. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I I was really fascinated by like the torn garment and then mm-hmm. she gives the explanation of that. And it's it's that her the wisdom of philosophy or that Bootis is obviously a bigger fan of uh of Socrates and Plato than he is of those that came after him, <laughs> after them. Um, but that it was it was she was shredded by the Epicureans and the Stoics, and they mm-hmm. wrapped themselves in pieces of her garb yeah. to give themselves some authority to it. Act like they had the whole thing. That was pretty the poetic imagery of that was really good yeah
1: yeah well and that she hand wove her dress there's weaving right. involved here so knowing i have a different translator um on the second section the second line in the middle there it says for mine when stores of life inflate the weight of earthly care the mind forgets its inward light and turns in trust to the dark without I feel like that's a summary.
2: Are we reading the same passage? Interesting.
1: Okay. So I'm at the, so I'm in book one, the second section. I'll start at the very first line. So sinks the mind in deep despair. Sight grows dim when storms of life inflate the weight of earthly care. The mind forgets its inward light and turns trust to the dark without.
2: Mine's very different. Okay. Mine says, um, Alas, in what abyss his mind is plunged, how wildly tossed. Still, still, towards the outer night she sinks, truly lost. As oft as lashed tumultuously by earth born blasts, cares waves rise high. Whoa. Okay.
1: Well, I have to like mine better, I think. (laughs) I like the imagery of the storms of life right, um, that inflate the weight of earthly care, right, so they make, the, the storms of life make what matters here on earth larger than is appropriate, than is right, inflate its weight.
0: Yeah, I think you and I have the same mm-hmm. uh, translation, okay. and so I think both of them are using a C metaphor there, but it's just, yeah. it's, it's... Um, more explicit in Matt's translation, um, mm-hmm. like the surging up of weights of care, the storms of life, I think those were that's still sea imagery, um, mm-hmm. and so it's it's this kind of this kind of storm on the on the sea that the blots out all the all the light you would have had, you know, uh, and um, I don't know it, it um, it's almost like it's it turned. That last line, the one we have, it seems like it's turning away from what you know inwardly to just to only trusting what's going on in the circumstances. At least that's how I read that. Like it's abandoning which she seems to return to later, right? You've abandoned what you you know. She even tells them that you banished yourself, right? Not right. So it's Peter on the waves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right.
2: Mm. I mean, I have the Latin, but I don't know it well enough to know which
0: one's more yeah. accurate. Well, she she goes on, like the whole rest of that is talking about who, he was the man who who contemplated the huge things, right? Like the the moving of the heavens and the uh, but in a way that in a way in in that medieval way, right? But that then that they're communing with one another with one another and with God all the way down to the, you know, the waves and the and the and the flowers. Yeah. That that's what he spent his life doing and, he, and now he's now his mind is just turned on these turned on just this kind of complaining about the circumstances
1: well so where I was stuck was so she starts off that part saying to me summarizing right that he's focused on the storms of life mm-hmm. rather than all these other things he's pondered and she then says but it is time for healing not lamenting and then he's silent and she she's wondering why he's silent he decides oh it's nothing serious it's only a touch of amnesia that he is suffering the common disease of deluded minds
2: this is interesting because lady philosophy here is very clearly siding with plato over aristotle Mm. um in in plato's republic socrates specifically complains right that the poets um they don't help us to overcome our sinness grief or our woes right they well well, the way she says it in section one Mm -hmm. um the these who the, the muses of poesy uh these who so far from medicine to heal his malady mm-hmm. even feed it with sweet poison mm-hmm. and then you know as you pointed out later she called. well right before that she calls them uh wantons or sluts in your translation um the, the latin is uh mer- 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 triculas, which google translate says is harlots okay <laughs> For whatever that's worth yeah um you know then she calls him sirens whose sweetness lives not but in poetics aristotle very clearly says that poetry is a means of um what's the term he uses um oh, it's kind of a it's not super common but it's kind of a common turn turn of phrase to say that it's uh man i can't remember the word now but anyways that it's a a, a means of processing grief and woe and that does bring healing. The lady Philosophy apparently is not an Aristotelian, but rather <laughs> Platonist, mm-hmm. at least here.
0: <laughs> it's a uh, so Aristotle would argue this like a way to pro- it's a way of processing grief is through poetry, through yeah, right. That
2: you that that it helps you to like it's healing to weep and if you can weep, if somebody you know for free for whatever right and then if if, uh if a play poetry enables that then then that's good right that you weep when you ought to weep
1: and i don't think she's not saying there isn't uh, that weeping is bad or lamenting is bad or that poetry can't cause that. She says it is time for healing, not lamenting, so that this is no longer time. This is not the time to lament.
2: So because it's gone on too long, like the early stages allowed, you can allow for
0: grief at some point to stop and move on. Is you, are you talking about the cathartic? Is that the word you were looking for earlier? Yeah, I wonder too, because like, I wonder if there's a distinction being made between the, the, something poetic helping that you experience poetic, helping you grieve properly. You know what I mean? The the play a song, you know, an epic. Um, But, but he's like pouring out complaint in, in verse himself, right. Versus he's just complaining in verse basically (laughs) versus allowing some kind of narrative or something to, to be a balm to him you know, if that's the, if there's a distinction there, because I did, I wrote in there, I wrote down throw the, throw out the poets when she's when she, when she's, um, when she's kicking them out. And, but then she also replies to him in this thing in verse, right? She also, (laughs) there's, she has songs too, like on the next page. So I wonder if it's, if it's, if there's a distinction about receiving versus, just kind of.
2: Yeah, maybe she's, not, maybe she's not saying Plato's right and Aristotle's wrong, mm-hmm. like universally without qualification, but that that when you have a deluded mind, when you have a sick mind, the mm-hmm. symptoms of lethargy, the, uh, the, the poets can't cure the mind. Right. If you have a healthy mind, then the poets can help you process your grief and move on, as Aristotle describes.
1: Mm-hmm. When you
2: have a diluted mind, when you have a sick mind, you just sit there. It's, it's kind of escapism rather than mm-hmm. facing reality. Right. You just you just stay there in that world.
1: I mean, one of the things I've learned about grief is it's often thought about as like uh, that there's five stages. But because we've called them stages, it's an appearance that you have to you go, go through from one to the interview. next. Yeah. yeah, and it doesn't happen like that. Um, and so I've been told that if if you, if you think of them in the terms of stages, don't think of them as a, in an order, but that you need to keep moving and not get stuck in any one. Um, and rather, I've been presented with the tasks of grief. There's four things within grief you have to do to grieve and move on. Um, and hmm. so the first would be to accept the loss, to work through the painful feelings, which I think poetry could be a piece of that, adjust to the loss, and then incorporate this loss in back into your story. So those are tasks you have to complete. That makes sense. Um, Um, But I like that she's saying it's, this isn't even, it's not about lamenting. This, this is time healing. So I don't know where that goes. And if you think of the stages of grief, um, as things that you have to just move and get stuck in any one. There's denial, which may be in there, anger, bargaining, where you're trying to get it back. Then there's the depression and then acceptance or healing. So it's that fifth stage is sometimes called healing, but it's part of the the stages of grief. So I I don't, I'm not sure. Right. Um, I feel like language can fail us here.
0: It is interesting that she mentions a lot of philosophers and none of them are Aristotle. Like, I, I do find that it, he's kind of a glaring omission from our from our viewpoint, right? In that list of people she names. Um, both, you know, I think even is Zeno before? Yeah. I can't remember if Zeno's before. But anyway, she he, she clearly lists some that come after, or some groups of philosophers at least that come after um, Socrates and Plato. And Aristotle's not one. Um, but did he suffer?
1: Like you know, Socrates suffered for his philosophy.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I just mean even the even the people she names that he's been nourished on, Zeno and Plato, and then she talks about the Stoics and the and, <laughs> and the Epicureans, like she names throughout here, she names very various philosophers get named Anaxagoras, um Canius, Seneca, but Aristotle's not doesn't pop up anywhere in any of those lists of names. Mm -hmm. The other thing that strikes me, Matt, as you're, as you bring this up though, is structurally this, this appears to lean toward Socratic dialogue, right? Um, In the way it's done, Um, especially, especially toward the end of book one, you get a, a quick, a quicker series of question and answers. Right? There's two. There's a couple. There's some long dialogue or long monologues by each of them, and then, but it ends in these kind of question and answer format. Um, as she's beginning yeah. to assess what's wrong with him, so mm-hmm. that strikes me as much more of a Socratic um, structure mm-hmm. um, that the book is taking. Yeah, which to me would link reading to your audit, to your idea that boethius tends to seems to or boethius or, or through lady philosophy or lady philosophy tends to be fe- favoring socrates and plato's um view of of both philosophy and possibly poetics poetry yeah kind of curious to me i
2: know i'm not i'm not saying this from a place of knowledge or authority but in any way it's really a question for me but i wonder if the ancient and medieval world thought of Aristotle as a philosopher Hmm. like we do you know in large part I think because of Thomas Aquinas referring to him as the philosopher capital p Mm -hmm. but I wonder if the ancient world and the medieval early medieval world thought of him as more as more of a scientist as like what we would call scientists today more of a natural philosopher Um, Mm -hmm. and that and that what he was doing wouldn't really apply to what she's doing. It's not the same thing as what she's doing, but I don't know. I don't know if that's the case.
0: Matt, Answer those crazy. two, he mentions the Greek letters on her, pi and theta.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't always read all the footnotes, but I did read the one on that one.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Someone talked about that there were two kind. Con- basically there's, actually it's the introduction to the categories of Aristotle, which is funny. this says there are two kinds of philosophy, practical and speculative practical and speculative or contemplative. Um, so I guess it's a reference to another Boethius text where he's explicitly talking about Aristotle. And the, the Greek names begin with those two letters, Pi and Theta. Pi theoria for the contemplative. Yeah, it says the former would seem to include moral philosophy and ethics, the latter theology, metaphysics, and natural sciences or physics. And, and maybe that's the distinction the because it talks about her on her things a ladder between the two one going from the up, up to the other mm. and so she would or boethius and through lady would put would put aristotle in a different category than than plato and and, uh, and socrates mm.
2: nice yeah mine doesn't have footnotes so i didn't i didn't catch that oh it does have a
1: footnote
2: he mm. stands for the political life life of action Beta for the theoretical life. life of thought. Yeah. Mm. yeah. But she includes she includes both then. Mm. Her garment
0: anyways. You're right, a right.
2: between and she's pretty there's big.
0: A, yeah, there's a movement between the two, right? Yeah. And he would have, I mean, Boethius was writing well before Aquinas started calling him the philosopher, right? So that you're right. I mean, I, I think that that's plausible that there would have been a different Categorization of, of thinkers in Boethius's time than what we received later.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, there's one other illusion that I feel like I have to mention, and mm-hmm. is that, or not illusion, actually, this is a precursor. I couldn't help reading it when I first started thinking of uh, the Divine Comedy with a person in exile grumbling, and then they get a guide, an interlocutor
2: yeah
0: and i'll save it till the end maybe my my argument but um i you probably probably like this matt but i upset my wife when i said i think it does what the divine comedy does but does does it better and shorter
1: (laughs) (laughs) i'll
0: need to finish Uh, it first yeah Yeah. so i'll throw that out there and i'll maybe defend myself at the at the end
2: pause button on that one
0: yeah
2: i'm trying to find there's a passage where he's complaining about his unjust penalty punishment right he says mm-hmm. in at the end of section 3 right before or 4 sorry, 4 right before song 5 his prayer in my paragraph breaks the very end of the next paragraph he says i for my part who have been banished from all life's blessings stripped of my honors stained in repute and punched for well doing,
1: mm-hmm.
2: but she says, "And I can't seem to find it now." She says something about those people. I don't know if she's referring explicitly to you know Socrates and Zeno, and
1: she refers you know. to them in three, I think.
2: Oh, here you go. Yeah, in, in section three, mm-hmm. she brings Plato and Socrates, and she said, Did I not often in days of old, before my servant Plato lived, wage stern warfare with the rashness of folly? In his lifetime, too, Socrates, his master,
1: mm-hmm.
2: this is key, I think. Yeah. one, mm-hmm. one with my aid, the victory mm-hmm. of an unjust death. Yeah. And then, and then... You know two books later or two sections later he's complaining about being punished for well-doing but for socrates she says it was a victory
0: yeah
2: one an unjust death
0: martyrdom right yeah i have to say almost like a martyr's death right
2: mm-hmm.
0: and that's a good thing
2: mm-hmm. that's very very contrary to the way Boethius thinks about his circumstances, but also the way we all would think about our circumstances, right?
1: Right.
2: Yeah. Loss apparently thinks it's a good thing to suffer unjustly. Why? Why?
1: And that's the part where we find out about her her robe, right? As part of their plunder in defeating Socrates. Um, They tried to carry me off, and I fought and struggled, and in the fight, the robe was torn, which I have woven with my own hands. They tore off little pieces from it and went away in the fond belief that they had obtained the whole of philosophy. Hmm. But the sight of traces of my clothing on them gained them the reputation among the ignorant of being my familiars. As a result, many of them became corrupted by the ignorance of the uninitiated mob. And that's when she names three old philosophers, three current philosophers who have suffered.
2: Um, well, that these were brought to destruction for no other reason than than that, settled as they were in my principles, their lives were a manifest contrast mm-hmm. to days of the wicked.
0: Mm-hmm. I like how these instead of telling us like instead of arguing for why those why those other philosophies were wrong epicureans and the stoics and things after he just like Mm. he just gives it to us in a narrative like poetically like this is what they did right and it's just it immediately just kind of undercuts any (laughs) them in a way that's just brilliant and beautiful with her story and then after he goes on moaning and complaining again it just ends with like for a long while he says throughout this long and noisy display of grief philosophy remained unperturbed and then that's when she tells him I could have seen you were banished just by looking at you but I didn't realize how far you were banished and you banished yourself because you've your mind is and that's what she starts going into you, your mind being sick I, I I'm i trying to remember all of how this plays out because I only read it the one time but um I like that she immediately, immediately goes to the analogy of, of illness and healing um, and mm-hmm. medicine, even like not just she's um, and starting off with like light medicine <laughs> doses you can yeah. handle. Um, yeah. it. Um I think, I mean, Booth is obviously a Christian philosopher. <laughs> um And so through various things, I, I've been spending a lot more time, uh, thinking about um, the church as as hospital and healing uh, of whatever the sins and the pollution they cause in the mind, right, and body and soul. Um, this gets touched on a little bit in like I, I'm barely into it, but ethics of beauty um, talks about it some. And and so it's interesting to see it applied to a philosophy. Like, I don't know I'm, I'm sure we'll get into more theology as he goes as he is a Christian philosopher but um, that imagery is is one that's I want to kind of stick with and, and pay a lot of attention to as we get, as we go through.
2: It
0: gives me hope to think of being of healing of healing.
1: Well, and I like, so on that note, um, in the, I don't know, the middle-ish of four? No, the beginning of four. Yeah, the beginning of four, before he gives his long speech. She she asks, she quotes Homer. As Homer says, speak out and hide it not within. Right. so whatever this is has to be brought to the light. She says, if you want the doctor's help, you must reveal the wound.
0: Yeah, that's a great And I
1: like that Uh uh-huh that in order for there to be healing you you have to be active right the doctor can't just you you have to reveal the wound
2: your um your translator is much kinder to you than mine is ah what did you say well it doesn't tell me that homer said it and homer's not in the latin so your translator added that it was homer who said it to help you (laughs) nice okay well
0: Team got a nice footnote for where you can find it, Matt. Yeah,
1: Iliad one three
0: six three. Hmm.
2: Yeah.
0: Nice. It might have the quote, but it doesn't have
1: who or where. And...
0: But you knew it though, right? Because you know the Iliad so well. No, I did not know. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: was like, oh, I wonder who said that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, it shows it as a quote, but then doesn't tell you who it was. That's yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> which is great because it means just if it if that's how it is in the Latin, that means Boethius just, just assumed his audience knew where that came from. Yeah, which tells yeah. you a lot did. about the, educa- the education that's, of his audience.
2: That line's in Greek, so when I'm reading, when I'm looking at the Latin, it's got. It's Got the whole oh, text in line, and then a the line is written in Greek, so she's actually funny. actually wrote the Greek
0: for that line, right? Right? Yeah. It's like when you're reading, um, you know, one of the Russians, and all of a sudden there's an actual line in French, right? Because they're they said it in French instead of setting it in Russian, the character did, yeah. You're like, oh, that doesn't help me at all, now I gotta go look it up. <laughs>
2: So I mean, you know, as a result, now I can tell you that the word heart there—how to say it? out, like, hide it not in thy heart.
1: Just hide it, hide it not within.
2: Oh,
0: yeah. it's it's noose. Is it nice? All right, so Boethius—we've determined he's a Platonist. To that's a, well, that so should be. <laughs> maybe.
1: So That's where I was going to go. I was like, so I find it very interesting that he he doesn't number, but I saw like four points, four claims to his uh, suffering, um, that he's being punished for a crime he didn't commit, um, that, that philosophy herself has been thrown in as proof um, that uh, all these things, only things that are blessed with a happy outcome are undertaken with sound advice says claim there like that's what people believe and that victims um get what they deserve huh. All right when she responds and then he has four seemings i seem i seem i seem i seem he has four seemings and then when he responds she responds in like order i think that's like i pulled these out just thinking are these the four claims and then there's four seemings he responds to those same exact ones in five but yeah I, I, it's so what- funny. If you go to five. She says, You seem to have forgotten is her first claim against him. You seem to have forgotten the oldest law of your community. Any man who has chosen to make his dwelling there has the sacred right never to be banished. But she quotes Homer again. I guess Matt, do you know that? Right above that.
2: Where section are you in?
1: I'm in section
2: uh, five. five.
1: There's her long uh, poetics, right? Her a song and then it goes to verse. So more dialogue I guess This so for me it's the second paragraph interjects with uh, for if She's you remember the him. country you came from it is not governed by majority rule like Athens of old but if I may quote Homer one is its lord and one its king Iliad book two
2: okay
1: is not in Greek in yours
2: um no interesting it's not in greek and it doesn't identify
0: i the author of it
1: again okay
0: yeah i noticed i didn't catch i didn't catch the number of things he complained about and that she identified like re- replied one by one but i did okay. notice that she was he goes really long and mm-hmm. she kind of um she acknowledges each one of his things like you said this and then she gives him like she just kind of answers it um She's more succinct because she's moving on to the fact that I think she's moving to the fact that this is not the real problem. The real problem is your your mind is sick and we need to heal that. But she does mm-hmm. acknowledge all the things he complains yeah. about. Right. And and um, which I, th- I thought was interesting. I love that part, though. I mean, I do like his line. I uh, mean, I think maybe it was the last well. Over and above all this, another weight is added to my load of ills and that the world does not judge actions on their merit, but on their chance results. And they consider that only those things which are blessed with a happy outcome have been undertaken with sound advice. It is always the unfortunate who are first to be deserted by the goodwill of men. I feel like that's like it's not an untrue. It's a true observation, right, of, of of, of the world as it is right now. That something's only judged as good if, if it if it turns out good in the end. Like your decision is only good if it had a good result, not if it was actually on no. its own. Um, well, it's the
2: it's though. the um, it's the cave analogy. Like this, this is whole. This is alluding very explicitly to the cave or to the Republic and the cave analogy because the guy that goes, the philosopher king that has to go back into the cave
1: mm-hmm.
2: will be will be be rejected if he if he's if his will be rejected because the way he speaks will be will won't make sense to them mm-hmm. unless he can unless he can uh the way the way plato puts it is unless he can predict the shadows better than they can um and so then he shows his utility and his value by being better at predicting than what the next shadow will be um, better than they are at it so it has this utility this utility derived from predictability i guess uh and that and then the the idea of the philosopher doing philosophy properly um is will be so foreign to those people that they'll reject him'll kill him unless he does what they want him to do which is to predict
0: and be useful right
1: so we want utility <laughs>
0: yeah well i mean like martyrdom is not is not valued right or appreciated right that 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 doing of the right thing and having a bad outcome um it's is not valued or at least not by many <laughs> right like only plato at the time you know, well, not only, but but he he's one of the few, right? Who who appreciates what's happening to Socrates and sees it as good and sees it as righteous and writes it down. And then he has to hide a little bit himself in exile. And so she's and she doesn't deny any of that, but she's but she's but she does and previously does call it good, right? Like Matt was talking about that that's a victorious death, and so he's Boethius has lost the ability to see that I, I give mm-hmm. the I, I take by implication of what she says that he would have he would have known that without her telling him at some point previously right as he because he loves Plato and he loves Socrates and he loves these philosophers
2: the, the, <laughs> there's a allusion to Plato here because the um, before somebody can be made the philosopher king they actually have to be tested for their ability to persevere and endure, and and part of that means going back into the cave and then seeing if they get pulled away from from the good by the the rewards that the cave dwellers offer for predicting the wall. And in some sense, that's what's happening to Boethius here, right? Is that he's he's made the the city's rewards more valuable than the life of philosophy itself i mean you i mean and so it is not so the aspect of this place which moves me she's speaking right as thy aspect not so much the library walls set off with glass ivory which i miss as the chamber of thy mind wherein Mm. i once Mm. placed not books but that which gives books their value the doctrines which my books contain so she's seeing he's he's i think he has asked right like well you know i remember when i was with you and but i had this great library and this blah 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 and she's like yeah that's not the stuff i miss i missed i miss your mind i missed the stuff that was in your mind which was not the books but the things in the books And the the, the good things that were in the books that were in your mind were the things that were in books. Uh, and he's, he's completely distracted there right from the good, the good, the the life of the life of the mind. And he's replaced that with the, you know, the respect and the, and the position and the the library and you know, all the stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and that, that that in in Plato, that person can't become a philosopher king until they prove that they can survive those mm. temptations. Moethius here is I, I, this might just be a reenactment of <laughs> like a, a telling of the story of what happens when somebody just, you know goes back into the cave. I don't
0: know. Oh, right! Well, he, he's playing out. He's playing out the philosopher king that goes back into the cave. Well, I'm sitting here listening to you. and I'm thinking of more ripples forward into other, into other texts, right? Like the Tempest, and uh, you know, he loses his library and is, is adrift for a long time, and has to figure out what's actually important about his learning. Um, or your your favorite, Matt, of the Narnia books. Um, uh, so sure. Now I'm going to Silver Chair, right? Where they have to remember, right? And they're almost consumed by the witch but but huddle glum remembers just enough right to start the to start the process of coming out of the fog so i just i don't know it's great sorry andrew you were going to say something
1: no no well on that note the coming out of the fog i noticed that the north wind is named as the one who moves the haze away so that the light can be seen Um, but what i was going to add was i didn't Right, Plato's Republic in my margin until book or until section six of this book because um, she's talking about he's forgotten his true nature but she says what's going to in your true belief about the world's government there lies your divine reason and not the haphazards of chance um, there lies our greatest hope of rekindling your health so she's going to talk, up, she's going to bring up his true, what he truly understands. That's a, a true belief about the world's government is going to be his link to hell. And I thought about Plato talking about the whole society in the Republic, but we see into the souls
2: mm.
1: at the same time. And no, your words are very different. You're going forth checking.
2: <laughs> well, I was just trying to see what it was translating. Like it does say divine reason. Mm-hmm. In the in the um, Latin, I'm okay. trying to figure it out. My translation says the last part of that sentence says, "We, but to divine reason, we have the divine spark for which thy recovery may be hoped." Mm-hmm. I was trying to see if it had mm-hmm. divine spark, but it says "skintilula vitalis" is probably "minima skintilula vitalis." Um, Yeah, it's probably this tiny, like the smallest, the smallest uh, uh, bit of life remaining that which will revitalize you, right? Yeah, the
1: next line in my English is: "You have, you need have no fears, then, now that this tiny spark has blazed the fire of life."
0: But that's another. Well, that's another Plato direct allusion too from the letter uh well letter. if you if you believe it's his letter but i do so the seventh letter where he talks about that that's he's kind of about that's what that's what education is right so it's that tiny spark that goes from one person
2: mm-hmm. from the
0: teacher to the to the student or from one or from friend, to friend one person to another and mm-hmm. that's the thing that sparks and so it's the same it's that same idea so i think that's probably another direct I'm just gonna say that in Boethius' day they they wouldn't have questioned whether that was actually a letter from Plato. It's only modern people who do that kind of stuff. So um, that's what he's referring to. <laughs> um, uh, how
2: many people how many listeners are gonna be annoyed that they have to listen to a discussion of the constellation philosophy by three people who love Plato and so we're gonna point out the Plato. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey I put in Homer. <laughs>
0: I'm going to say that it's with four people who love Plato and one of them is Boethius, yes, so.
2: All right. What is, can, before we, before we finish, I don't know how much time we have left, but before we finish, can we talk about what, what the state of his mind is that allows he, like, what, what, what does he know and not know that allows her to heal him or prevents her from healing him in a certain way, right? Because she says, end of section five. And so for a time I will use milder methods
1: right. that
2: the tumors were grown hard through the influx of disturbing passion may be softened by gentle treatment till they can bear the force of sharper remedy. Mm-hmm. So what is he just so we can kind of understand the the way the the way the mind is healed? What what does he not know that requires milder methods? But what is or that prevents sharper remedies, but what do you know allows for milder methods to
0: it? It seems like from the section we were just talking about, um she says you've forgotten your true nature, which is interesting because <laughs> that's in that's in his response to what he is. Like he says a man and she asks what that is, what a man Dang. is. He gives a kind of a he gives kind of a reductionist version of what man is, a rational and mortal animal. <laughs> um it seems like the the source of his dysfunction is he doesn't remember his own true nature what what he is and this and then just before that the source yeah. that he he does he does acknowledge that 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 god's sovereignty over the over the god's divine reason you know is is governing the world at large and, and that appears to be the the basis for where she can start, right? That's it, but that's but, but that requires gentler medicine, maybe to begin with.
2: Yeah, because he 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 knows that there's a God that that, that is rationally guiding creation, mm-hmm. but he doesn't know how. Right? Does Dost thou perceive by what means he rules it? I scarcely understand what thou meanest, much less can I answer thy mm-hmm. question. Dost thou remember the universal end towards which the aim of all nature is directed? I once heard, but sorrow hath dulled my recollection. And yet thou knowest whence all things have proceeded? Yes, that I know, and have answered, that it is from God." So there's something like he knows that there's a God, he knows that God's providentially governing the universe, but he doesn't know how God is doing it, which is part of his problem right and then he knows that he's a man but he can't say what a man is and then he says in thy true judgment concerning the world's government in that thou believest it subject not to the random drift of chance but to divine reason we have the divine spark from which thy recovery may be hoped so so apparently what she might be saying there is well i would have used the fact that you know you're a man and you know what that is Right To heal you, you don't know that So I have to go back to this earlier point Of Well at least you know that God is governing all, right? Right, And then that's a starting point for right. Man, mm-hmm. what happens If she came to our death? We don't even believe that
0: Right yeah, it, it almost se- se- it, it almost <laughs> seems like She's retracing His Like he he went through the process of learning these things and 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 inquiring about these things right as a student as a philosopher she calls him an astronomer at one point he's been through the right education as we we might even say in our in our in our circles and so she's searching through that foundation for where she can start right she she's like okay but something has come but this tragedy in his of his life has come through and obscured Things he should be remembering. He says, "I, I remember. I, I heard of it once, but I can't recall it." You know, there's there's fog and cloud. They have all these images, right, blocking blocking this stuff. And so she's kind of sifting back into the into the poetic, you know, the, the imagination of his soul, the the the, the things that he's been, been educated through to find that starting point. And what she finds is, okay, you know, there's a god that governs rationally. Okay, we'll we'll start from there again. Oh, like we did this before we did this once before, but we'll start from there again and kind of try and clear away the cobwebs a little bit uh, with some with some medicine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So
1: yeah, I mean you oh, say clear out the cobwebs. So then in the seventh section, it's like she gives three metaphors for what's about to happen. Um, because of like she says that we have to remove clouds and chains. Of joy, fear, hope, and grief, in order to see truth.
0: Yeah, I had a like a question mark. Mm-hmm. because it was like rid yourselves of joy and fear, put hope to flight, and banish grief.
1: Mm-hmm. We got to get rid
2: of all four of those. Yeah, right, right. That makes sense, though, right? Because all of those are dependent on fortune mm. right when i'm in a good state right when he had that big fancy library and all this respect and right. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. power or whatever that was a place of of joy and hope and then when he lost it all it became a place of fear and grief but that was all that is dependent on the the movements of
1: mm-hmm. of
2: fortune and you need to abandon all of that i mean you need right. to ban- ban- banish your dependence on those things as indicative of
0: your own goodness right because they're connected to the wrong thing right his hope and joy is connected to the wrong source at this point no. so he has to abandon those they may come back when he find the right source but he doesn't have the, the joy of
1: thing. the lord as his strength that's not it
0: right he's got the joy of his library and the hope of his stained glass right <laughs> that's, that's what he's got
1: yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So at the beginning, she starts off with her metaphor of darkness, and then winds. Um, I couldn't when she says streams that wander from high hills down descending, often dash against a rock torn from the hillside. Like I didn't know what that one was, uh, was a was like heights, fast moving water, but the down descending.
0: I think like, each of these. The- I think each of these are um, metaphors for when like the vision is obscured. So the first mm-hmm. one is clouds hiding the starlight. Uh, mm-hmm. The second one is like a storm causing the waves to be cloudy instead of clear. Okay. And I right. think that's talking about um, like the stream. Is when it's in this gentle path, you can see down into it, but when it cascades, it becomes like waterfall and you can't see because it's dashing against the rocks. That's that's how I read that anyway. <laughs> When it dashes against okay. the rocks, it causes the, you know, the white foaminess that makes it harder to see. Okay. I read all three is visual, visual, visual. Gotcha. metaphors. Yeah. Okay. Well, anything y'all are looking, looking for particularly in, in, in the next section, things you want you're trying to keep your eyes peeled for questions you have.
1: Well, so in, in book six, she says, um, he says that his memory has been blunted by grief. Um, so I I want to pay attention to that as well as um, somewhere in here. I have written on the side. I don't know where it is in the book that she says that she wants the darkness of passions need dispelling. I thought that was interesting. Mm. Um, at that point, she doesn't say healing. They need dispelling. So the best thing I could figure is to spell something we connect and to dispel is to disconnect. And so she wants to disconnect the, these passions from him.
0: Huh? Yeah. These are the very women who, this writer, right he, now after she trashes the pudding muses, these are the very women who kill the rich and fruitful harvest of reason with the barren thorns of passion. And then she goes on later to talk about dispelling the passions.
1: Okay. Is that in book six?
0: No, so in, one, in part one is when she says that the 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 poetry muses,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, they kill the the fruitful heart of, harvest harvester of reason with barren thorns of passion, and so yeah. okay. So then when she talks about dispelling that those passions later, I think she's, which is, this is you know, very um, very like kind of in line with the language of a lot of the early church fathers, right? That, that, that the passions have to be, uh, dispelled, controlled. Um, they're the, they're the, they're the improper manifestation of our, of our desires, right? Um, aimed at the wrong things. And that again, comes no, back it's... to
1: Go ahead. Sorry.
0: what she's talking about at the end, right? That, that your, your joy, your grief, your, your hope they're they're tied to the wrong things
2: in um in the ancient world empathy was a bad thing okay but no, i mean not today for us when think of it that way yeah. because of the way we use the word empathy but for they when they used empathy in the greek what it the way the way they used that word what it was describing was this idea of giving into the passions mm-hmm. um and mm-hmm. that that was always bad right Any sort of any sort of surrendering or submitting to the passions um, is a bad thing, right? So when we think about empathy today, we have to be careful that that's not what we're being asked to do, neither to give into our own passions, nor to give into somebody else's passions. Right. Uh, right. Uh, which, which sympathy and passion don't have that same problem for some reason. But empathy, at least in the ancient world, did. Uh, and under like I think that's what's, that's what's happening with these poetic muses at least for him right is that they are they are inviting him in to remain with his passions right and, mm-hmm. and he's being blinded by that um, who accustomed men's minds to disease instead of setting them free mm-hmm. Yeah. So then there's got to be the scattering of the of all of that, right? The, the, the dispelling of it.
1: And, but at some point, like she calls his disease a, a particular fog. I will try to lessen this particular fog little by little by applying gentle remedies of only medium strength. And yeah, in see. this way, the darkness of the ever treacherous passions may be dispelled. And you will be able to see the resplendent light of truth. So that's the part I want to understand. How are we the dispelling of the treacherous
2: passions? Since thou art distraught with anger, pain, and grief, is that the ones that that you're talking about?
1: For me, it's the it's like the last before section seven. Yeah, not
2: Mm -hmm. what
0: before her before her last um, song.
1: Last song.
2: Oh, she says it again. Yeah. So, oh, so what I just read. Repeating herself because the end of section five, she says, But since a throng of tumultuous passions hath filled thy whole, since thou art distraught with anger, pain, and grief, strong remedies are not proper for thee in this thy present mood.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And so, for him I was milder methods
1: mm-hmm.
2: that the tumors which have grown hard through the influx of disturbing passion may be softened by gentle treatment till they can bear the force of our
1: That's five.
2: Yeah. And then in six, she basically says the same thing again, right? Mm-hmm. Seeing that it is not yet to strong remedies and that the mind is manifestly so constituted that when it casts off true opinions, it straightway puts on false from arises a cloud of confusion that disturbs its true vision.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I will now try and disperse these mists, a mild and soothing application. That so the darkness of misleading passion may be scattered, and thou mayest come to discern the splendor of the true light. I, I mean, I know you just read. Sorry, I didn't, I'm not trying to repeat you, but I just, it's, I just didn't catch that before that she's even having to repeat herself, mm-hmm. and say the same things. He's so, perhaps because he's so clouded in his pa- with the by the passions in his mind.
1: Yeah, yours uses "clouded," ours is using "fog" three or four times in that end of. The, the sixth song
2: uh,
0: she has song over and over what she's gonna do yeah. and she seems to get a little more specific right with the very last part it's like it's specifically this fog of distraction or this cloud of distraction or whatever which are, it uses yeah. distraction I think in both our yeah. translations okay I've got to start with I gotta start with dispersing the distraction that that, that mm-hmm. has risen up from these false thoughts right so I got to get rid of distraction first which that's maybe enough of a lesson for most moderns gets rid of the distraction first. Um, yeah. and then, so then, where mine then, says
1: dispel, his says disperse the myths.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Disperse the mist. This says, uh, yeah, lessen this yeah. particular little fog. Is the last part she says. And so, mm-hmm. I have to get rid of the distractions first before we can even start healing you yeah. proper healing proper. And so. Yeah, that, that's maybe my that's maybe the lesson I'm gonna take from book one. I gotta get rid of some distractions first before I can start being healed. <laughs> but I do I, I do really want to pay a lot of attention to this kind of medical language as we go through. And then apparently I'm the only one of the three of us who hasn't read The Republic yet. So oh. um, but my wife has and she <laughs> took Matt, and she took and she did it with Matt. And she and read me. this and she read this mm-hmm. copy before I did. So there's lots of little notes about the Republican here, written in beautiful handwriting that's not mine that I'll be cheating off of. Um, but uh, the the joys of a shared library. But I clearly, I need to read that one. So, yeah, uh, yeah, you do. Yeah, yes, I do. <laughs> um, I'm not even sure I can get my mind unfogged if I don't have the right. I don't have the right. I don't have the, right, uh, don't have the Republican there.
2: It'd be kind of interesting though, because I read. I read Boethius Andrea reads Boethius and we think oh look at all these allusions to Plato but when you read it when you read the Republic you're gonna like oh look at all these uh influences on Boethius <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah your your Republic
2: would be marked with Boethius references whereas our Boethius is marked up with Plato reference
0: yeah. yeah well that's what I'm doing now with this and I'm like you know oh clearly Dante read his Boethius and clearly you know read his Boethius <laughs> <laughs> right
1: Oh. Yeah.
0: And clearly, Boethius loved Plato and Socrates. Or at least so far. Clearly. Very cool. All and right. Helmer. Well, <laughs> I think that's enough for book one, since we we've only just started to scratch the surface with what Lady Philosophy is up to. So,
1: yeah.
0: Glad to have you guys back, especially Andrea. Glad you were well enough to join us today. Appreciate you being you here. It's early. It's early for you on the East Coast when we're, you reco- know, I mean, on the West Coast when we're recording. So, thank you i'm looking forward to to going through this one um, with you guys uh everyone out there thank you for pulling the book down off the shelf and dusting it off and and cracking it open and joining us for this episode of overdue classics you can send questions or comments at any point to to podcast at searcyinstitute.org and be sure to check out the link to the the discussion forum over on circle.so as well that'll be in the in the show notes and we will talk to you all next week for book two. Thanks.